Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Hey, welcome back to the Men's Divorce and Cordell and Cordell podcast. I'm Scott Trout, Managing Partner, CEO of Cordell and Cordell. And this podcast is obviously every week. We try to bring you some great, interesting uh, information, topics, ideas, suggestions uh, as it relates to family law. And uh, it's always, and we always start out this way. Uh, this isn't legal advice. It can't be the only place. The best place to do that is in a consultation with an attorney something that we do, obviously, you can go to cordellcordell.com. You can schedule an appointment online. Don't even need to pick up the phone. There's a calendar. You'll get to locate an office closest to you as we have those around the country. Or you can pick up the phone and give us a call, 866-DADS-LAW. But that is the only place to get legal advice is in a consultation, whether it be via Zoom, phone, or in person. This is educational. We just want to point you in the right direction, spur some thought, and uh, probably encourage you to attend a virtual town hall, which I'll talk about at the end of the show, which we're doing every Friday during the month of June. But let's get right to our topic today and introduce to you Shana from our Dallas office. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, good. Great topic today. And so our viewers, listeners should get some paper and a pen out because it's a technical one. You're going to want to take some notes, but it's a relevant one that happens more often than not. And the acronym or the the abbreviation is UCCJEA. UCCJEA. So tell our listeners, viewers, what that is. So the UCCJEA is the uniform Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. That long name is because um, around in the 60s, courts were very disturbed by parents essentially kidnapping, abducting their children, taking them to a new state. Um, Prior to when this act was enacted, the courts were having an issue um, because we are a nation with with many states. Parents would move their children before a divorce case and the state where the court was sitting and the child was located would hear the case over the child, whether that be in a divorce or a child custody proceeding. So essentially you could move out of your state to a new state that is more favorable to you and the court would hear the case immediately, despite where the child had lived previously, where you had established a home did not matter. So um, the other issue was that because people were bouncing around from court to court, let's say you get hurt in Colorado and your home state was Texas prior to that, then you go straight back to Texas. Texas could modify the order and there was really no way for the courts to enforce each other's orders. They weren't, it was not mandatory. So that created a lot of issues between child custody, divorce proceedings, and really uprooting children from wherever they had been residing prior to that. So every state follows this. It used to be called, I think, the UCCJA, and then uh, you know, states started adopting the JEA, and every state but Massachusetts, is that right? Yes, and that also includes the District of Columbia, U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Right. So I think it's became for me and I'll always it's funny as we 
the marker in our lives is always COVID now. It's either what happened before COVID, during COVID, after COVID, you know, BC, AC. And so I think about when I, we were starting to do virtual town halls uh, or live webinars, there was a celebrity and there were a lot of people during COVID moving, you know, they were picking up and moving to a safe state or whatever it be open plains. They were like one celeb. I remember they were in California, his wife and child picked up and moved to Oklahoma. And obviously in my mind, this UCCJEA came to mind for me because now you have two different states. Now you have to begin concern about what's going to happen. And I want to get to, obviously, the whole point of JEA is to lay out a roadmap for the attorney and the client to know how to, you know, you know what state's right. But I think that's what's so important and why this topic is relevant is when you have someone that picks up and leaves, someone that moves to a different state, a red flag should go up because they may get jurisdiction file in a state that you don't want to have to travel back and forth to. I mean, that's what I remember from COVID is all this relocation. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a mess. People have to be thinking about this, right? Absolutely. COVID definitely facilitated a lot of these cases where courts are having to decipher exactly what this law means, exactly how it applies to all of these situations. And even before COVID, The majority of case law about this was about military and people moving, deciding, you know, really, what is your home state if you are somewhere specifically for military duties only? Or even if parents are moving temporarily, which I know happened a lot during COVID, maybe people moved in with their parents, with their grandparents, with other family um, to sort of hunker down and avoid all of the issues with COVID. So. Those were major concerns, and a lot of cases have even come from courts hearing cases since COVID. So let's kind of dive in a little bit, you know, to Mm -hmm. try to stay as as general as we can, because it does get a bit technical, and you were just talking off camera that you're working, already just finished up on an appeal brief on this very topic, so it's fresh in your mind. So Mm -hmm. let's talk, kind of start out, where do they start as, as, say, a judge or your attorney? Where would they begin analyzing the UCCJEA and applying it to the case? Yes. So there are a couple different jurisdictional issues, basically meaning that the court has to have jurisdiction over the child in order to make any determination, even if parents are in agreement. So we sort of start there and they're based on the UCCJEA. There are four specific jurisdictional hooks, as we say. So the first one is the child's home state. Now, just going off of home state, you have to read the definition in the code because home state obviously seems like it would be obvious, but we have to have a time limit on how long the child has lived there. So in the UCCJEA, home state is defined as where the child has lived for the previous six months to filing, whether that be a divorce with kids or um, just a child custody proceeding. And the way that they talk about home state is either the previous six months, if the child has lived in one place, but if not, um, the court sort of extends to the previous six months to that. So the court can look at an entire year before the proceeding started. So whoever filed first. And the, although it gets very complicated, it's either the immediate preceding six months to the case or 
within the previous six months to that, the child lives somewhere for six consecutive months and the child has now left that state, but a parent continues to reside there. Yeah. It's and very complicated. It is. And that's the whole, I mean, let's just use, you know, Texas and Missouri, right? And someone mm-hmm. picks up from Texas and leaves and the theory being lawyers use this home state. I, I constantly, I catch myself in consultations like, oh, the child's home state is this. And if we know what that means. And the theory being is kind of where the child, his roots or her roots are, you know, they, you know, they start getting into factors about it could be friends and family and teachers and doctors and trying to establish whether or not this is an appropriate forum, but why the home state. And if you're in a consultation, you've heard this or why we ask where they've been for the previous six months, red flags go up because I'm telling clients a lot. Okay, she's picked up and left. How long ago was that? Oh, it's four or five months ago. Well, you need to start, you know, acting now to secure jurisdiction and make sure you avoid it because that is something where, I mean, I guess they talk about, you know, what is the more appropriate form? Because I've seen it where someone's been gone for a year and uh, one's in California, one's in New York. And now, you know, our client has to go back and forth from California to New York to fight a battle that they didn't want. I mean, that can happen if the child's established a longer than six months, longer than a year mm-hmm. system and, and roots, I imagine, in that case, right? Yes. Um, and it's important to note, I'll get into a little bit later, that temporary absences, even if they are six months or more, do not count. Now, that is difficult to prove in court what people's intentions are. Um, but for example, sort of a fact pattern that I've worked with is, you know, parents and children live in Colorado. They all pick up and move to Texas. Then two months later, since they've been in Texas, they file for divorce with kids. And then mom and kids move back to Colorado. So basically this sort of happened on the later end that we finished the divorce, everything. Then there was a challenge for whether the court had jurisdiction in the first place. Um, but really the issue is that mom and kids went back to Colorado and they said, well, our stay in Texas was just temporary. We just moved to Texas temporarily. We are back in Colorado, Colorado. We had lived there four years before that. And essentially Texas said, no, that's, that's not fair because you intended to move to Texas. Now had mom and kids went to Texas to visit some family. Maybe there was an issue um, for a couple months, even six months or more, as long as you were able to show judge that they just were temporarily going there, maybe to help some family members out, maybe to stay for a program, something temporary, that would have been fine. So the second hook, you think about this, um, we talked about home state, which just kind of dives into the time period. I've had cases where, where I was pretty certain that we were a home state, but a court declined jurisdiction under that more appropriate forum. Explain that a little bit. Yes. So the more appropriate forum essentially goes into the fact that sometimes there is a state where you have been the home state, but because of the circumstances of the situation, maybe kids are now in another state with one parent, Um, Maybe there was domestic violence involved. Maybe there were other circumstances that 
either caused kids to move or encouraged kids to move into the state where they're currently in, they've decided, well, that's really the more appropriate forum Um, or vice versa. Maybe the original state was the more appropriate forum because of maybe those temporary absence factors. Um, And so courts have sort of decided that they should talk to each other about situations where multiple states are involved to figure out who has what they call the most significant connections with the children, parents in any given situation. The the act actually requires the judges to actually communicate and discuss, does it? Does it not? It does. Um, But states, some states have different laws about whether or not they really should communicate, to what degree they should communicate. Um, In certain cases that I've worked with, the courts have very reluctantly spoken and then just decided to do whatever they wanted anyway, Um, which, of course, goes exactly against why this provision was added, um, because the U.S. Constitution full faith and credit clause requires that states listen to each other and enforce each other's orders. And that was part of why they added the enforcement part of this act to make sure that states would listen to each other, enforce each other's orders. Um, but sometimes they refuse to do it anyway. And it, I mean, you do have courts where they have clear jurisdiction and that's mm-hmm. why it's a little bit tricky. And, but for whatever reason, they all decline. That's that third hook where others decline, right? Yes. And some do decide to decline. I think in a lot of cases, some courts don't want to be involved in an issue, especially if maybe there isn't a home state because the child hasn't resided anywhere for six consecutive months in the last year. But obviously that becomes a problem. But sometimes courts don't want to intervene, especially if the kid is not there anymore. Yeah. I mean, that is the case you mentioned, no home state. And I've had that where it is you have parents, maybe they've moved around quite a bit and they don't have a, a period of six months. So that 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 is a that's that fourth prong is where the courts have to begin to think about now, okay, what elements do we consider whether there's jurisdiction because there's no home state clearly just by base of the of the parents' mobility. Yes. And that's why there are multiple provisions and there's not just whether there's a home state, because there are situations where there is not a home state at all. And sometimes, even if there is a home state, like you said, we jump to the most significant connections or the most appropriate forum. Um, And then we go into where maybe all the other courts that could have had jurisdiction, they all decline because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be involved. And then you have that fourth catch-all prong that says, essentially, if no court of any other state would have jurisdiction or have declined, the court can use its best judgment in doing so because you can't just say that no court has jurisdiction to decide a child's possession and access for even if it's a couple months because yeah. usually those emergency situations require the court to make some sort of decision. It's interesting. Oftentimes, at least in my jurisdiction, you have a lot of judges who hear family law cases that have never practiced family law. Yeah, you know, and they don't understand it. And sometimes they don't want to. And they just say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to decline jurisdiction. And there's no absolutes. I mean, you try to get specific with clients and say, here's what the elements are, but I can't tell you what this judge is going to do. They may not understand it. They may be lazy. They may not want to deal with it. And then, mm-hmm. and so what in the act talks about exclusive continuing, what does that mean? Yes. Yeah, so exclusive continuing jurisdiction means that there has 
been an establishment that some court had jurisdiction over the child initially, whether that's the initial divorce, the initial child custody, whatever that might be. So when you go back to the court later, the court will have exclusive continuing jurisdiction unless a couple things are decided and proven. Um, And that's because they don't want, obviously, one court to make a decision you go modify or you go to another court asking for relief and there was already another court who had jurisdiction over the case. So a court will maintain exclusive jurisdiction until the child and both parents do not have any more connections with the state or none of them continue living in that state. And so that's where it gets a little bit tricky because you sort of sometimes have to answer ask yourself the question, is this the initial jurisdiction or are we modifying? Because like I mentioned before in home state, if one parent continues to reside in the old state and the child had lived there for six consecutive months within that last year, that old state will maintain jurisdiction. Um, But it's a little bit different in a modification And that's sort of something to consider and something that even I find myself rethinking over and over again is that you have to really ask yourself, well, a modification is different than an initial custody. So it it also really determines whether everybody continues to live in one state or whether everyone has moved from that state. It is, uh, you know, initially, I think when we opened the segment, we were thinking, many viewers were thinking, oh, divorce, divorce, but it does apply to modifications. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you suggest, it gets very complex when you have, I mean, in our society, people do move around and they move state to state. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of one, for example, in Missouri, where child support goes to 21. I had uh, a case where a child uh, stayed in the city in which they attended college. And then it was pretty clear they got a new driver's license. They registered a vehicle in the state. So now it kind of it starts to show intent to remain the question becomes who does the child support belong to does it belong to the child does it belong to the the parent where is the state it just there's so many issues where it can be somewhat complex when you have people moving around especially in modifications it it has to be it's not a an infrequent thing where i have clients that say well mom and child live in a new state now and you know where do you file which it can be fairly powerful if you can file in the state in which the divorce decree was issued and you still live here Right. And that's something that's really important because whether you are an attorney really going through each provision to see what applies or you are someone who maybe you're saying, well, I live on the border between two states or, you know, I'll let mom go and take the child because that's really what's working best for us right now. And I'll I'll figure it out later or we'll modify later. Well, it's important to keep in mind what happens in that modification. Um, because once a parent moves after that six month period of them remaining there with the child, you may find yourself in a bind. Um, and although it, it should send up a red flag, you know, everyone's situations are different. So sometimes if a parent and a child are wanting to move to another state, you may not think that it's that big of a deal at that time. Um, or maybe you're thinking that's what works best for you and other parent and the child, but it's something that you really have to consider because eventually it gets out of your hands. Yeah, but I live you know, in 20 minutes, I can be in Illinois and it's not yes. you know uncommon for someone to just move over to Illinois or move from mm-hmm. Illinois to Missouri. And that does raise some of those issues. And, it, and we were talking off camera. 
as we think about it, it does spill over into you know, what decree or what state's laws control, regardless of the state in which the action takes place. For example, I had a, a court of appeals case that set that standard where all the parties moved out of Missouri. One was in Oklahoma and one was in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And mom was trying to modify the child support because the uh, child or child support you know, was this. And so we followed Missouri. It was more advantageous. And so that was our argument was you just have to be careful and, and, and aware of what the rules require or allow you because you may be a parent may be moving to a state that is definitely to your detriment when it comes to a modification and you may want to use a state that issued it. So it's, again, that's a conversation. That's why this is such a great topic today is Mm -hmm. to spur that conversation with your attorney. Absolutely. I just had a case um, on the border between Texas and Oklahoma and it was temporary. Mom wanted to move the child to Oklahoma. And of course my client did not want that by any means. We rushed into court to make sure she wouldn't even begin that move to Oklahoma. Um, And I think this judge is sort of used to seeing these issues, ignored the fact that the child has lived in Texas his entire life, said that mom could even temporarily establish a residence in Oklahoma. And I just was so baffled by that because it was not only very unfair to the father of this child, um, but it just seemed wrong. Everything in Texas was exactly what the child grew up with. His entire family is here. No one is in Oklahoma um, except for mom's new spouse. And it just felt wrong in every way. And I talked to my client about this. And um, from what we understand, child support might be better for him in Oklahoma. And so we discussed the fact, you know, after we have a final order and if things remain the same, it might be better for him to go to Oklahoma um, to modify in the future and to live closer to his child because judge allowed the child to move over 50 miles away, um, actually within 75 miles. So those are just things you have to consider. And even if the court doesn't go your way, it's a good um, it's important to understand all of these different types of jurisdiction so that as an attorney, whether your case has ended with your client to advise them of how to go on in the future, because the reality is that something might be modified. And if it can be modified to your advantage, then you should pursue that route. So I know we we kind of gave a little bit of an example early on as we wrap up our Mm -hmm. segment. Why don't you give out just another example, just so that they can kind of connect the dots because it does get uh, technical and and in terms of what you need to do and the four hooks and establishing that. So Mm -hmm. just throw out an example and that's how we can wind up ending our segment today. Sure. I love to use um, Friends as in my example, since I am an avid watcher of Friends. So I hope you guys like Friends too. Um, So an example I have is, Ross and Rachel get married in Tennessee in about 2010 and give birth to their daughter, Emma, January 1 of 2023. In May of 2023, Rachel and Emma moved to Texas. And on June 1, Rachel files for divorce. So the question is, who has home state or so, excuse me, who has jurisdiction over the child? Yeah. Well, in this case, there would be no home state at all um, because before the in the preceding six months there the child has not resided in texas for six months um you could argue potentially that tennessee might have jurisdiction because 
in the previous six months prior to the the previous six months. So the last year, Ross continues to live in Tennessee. And that's sort of where we get into the weeds about exact timing. And if it's a day over six months or a day short of six months, the court will say yes or no. Um, But the fact that Ross continues to live in Tennessee is a problem. Um, Had Ross moved to Texas with Rachel and Emma, then there really wouldn't be a question. There probably wouldn't be a home state at all, but it would be likely that Texas would defer to Tennessee um, because Ross remains there. Had Ross come here, Texas would probably take jurisdiction over the case. I mean, that's a great example of how days, minutes, hours matter. And maybe if Rachel had had that conversation with an attorney that said, you need to wait a couple more days to get to the six month window or whatever it may have been, that may have made a difference. And but maybe not. Obviously, there are all these exclusions in terms of leaving and whether it's kidnapping and consensual. But yeah, I mean, that's just a great example of how the analysis works. So. Good, good stuff today, Shannon. Thank you for bringing that to the attention. And, and we probably could talk for another hour on some of these details yeah. because it is such an interesting and actually important provision that every state of Massachusetts, including the, the others that you mentioned, follows. Mm-hmm. So thanks for joining today. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, continue to tune in to our podcast just like this. We'll bring you relevant information and interesting and unique topics in family law. But also check out our social media page, as many of you may be aware. We're celebrating fathers throughout the entire month of June, not just on Father's Day. So every Friday, Father's Fridays, you're going to want to tune in for free, log in live and listen to a panel of our Cordell attorneys, as well as a uh, an individual. We're bringing resources to guys and how to help their kids. Like last time we talked a little bit about how to make memories and how to use online apps Uh, for your kids to make sure that they're safe. Uh, We're going to do that every Friday. So tune in, check us out. It's free. You can just register, click, ask questions, and you can answers right there. Check out our YouTube channel. And of course, CordellCordell.com. If you need a consultation, you can schedule one right there. So until next time, have a great week.